So we're in this story, or we're in this series, third week of this Bible blockbuster series. We're looking at close-ups of different characters that played roles that were like actors in God's big epic story, his story of redemption, of rescuing his people. Now, I don't know if many of you are familiar with the story I'm going to share this morning, the story of Gideon. But uh, some of you might be familiar with a, a story uh, somewhat similar to it uh, that, that came out in the movies about 10 years ago in theaters. There's a movie called 300. Uh, it made about $450 million in the box office, and it was a story about 300 Spartan, brave Spartan soldiers that had a big bully in town, the Persians. And when you watch the movie, you see them come in boatloads of thousands upon thousands. It looks like there's just as many as there are sand on the seashore. And you're, it's kind of crazy because a movie like that, you're thinking there's no way 300 guys are going to last against hundreds of thousands of men. But yet, uh, the, the movie made 450 million bucks, so a lot of people showed up to see what would happen if these guys were going to last a few hours, maybe a few days. I have a story this morning that is similar, that, that parallels the story of 300 but it's going to go a little bit deeper than just entertaining us for a couple hours with an empty bowl of popcorn at the end. This is a story that actually tells us truths about who we are and who God is, about who we can be. So the story is, is found in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And it starts out with Israel, God's people, who are living far from God. You see, God had a, a covenant or a contract, if you will, with his people. And how this contract worked was God said, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people and here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you uh, a land that you're going to possess. I'm going to protect you from invading armies. I'm going to let you flourish as a people. But here's, what, here's the end of the bargain that you've got to hold up. I have a way of life that I want you to live that is the best way of life. And you need to, you need to live by my ways. You need to have me as your king. And you see, at this time in the story, Israel kind of rejected God as king. They, they, they pursued what they want. They lived their own way. So God lifted up his hand of protection. And that's where the Israelites were at with Gideon. And there was a new bully that was in town in this story. Uh, they were called the Midianites. And the Midianites made life miserable for Israel. See, they would go in and steal their crops. They would destroy their fields. They would take their, all their food. The scriptures say that they would swarm the valley of Jezreel like a bunch of locusts. Many of the Israelites were so afraid of these Midianites, a lot of them would actually go up into the mountainsides, into caves, and hide until the Midianites would leave. Their land was occupied by an enemy. Their food was stolen and scarce, and the people lived in fear. And the story continues that there's this young man named Gideon, and he's, he's threshing wheat by a wine press. Now, this is um, kind of odd, actually, because most of us wouldn't know, because uh, we don't really thresh wheat on a daily basis, at least I don't think most of you do, but threshing wheat, it's the idea of, of uh, separating the grain from the stalk. And typically, anybody back then that, that would collect that grain for food, they would go somewhere where it might have been a little bit higher in, gr- in the ground, uh, where, the, where the breeze could come by, because when you're, when you're separating that grain, when you're beating against that grain, there's this stuff called chaff that's lighter, uh, it's not, it doesn't have much substance, and that's the stuff you don't eat. So you have to separate that, and the best way is to be around where there's a breeze in an open area, let it blow away, your grain falls down, you can collect it. Now the scriptures say there's an angel of the Lord that came and approached Gideon, and he was separating his grain from the wheat, or separating the grain from the stalk by the wine press under an oak tree, probably a flat area. So this tells us 
that Israel's in desperation. He's in fear of going out into the open because he knows he'll get killed. His, his family won't survive. The, the food will be taken from them and they'll starve to death. So he's kind of in hiding. And when we uh, open up in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, here's what happens. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of the Midianites. Something significant happens here. Gideon begins to question his reality. He was told by his grandparents and by his parents that God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery. God is supposed to be on their side. But Gideon, what Gideon is experiencing is telling him a completely different story. Gideon begins to question God, to doubt God. Gideon doesn't believe that he's a mighty warrior. And you see, this is important because I believe what Gideon faced then is not too far off of what we're facing today. You and I, we both have our experiences, we have what we've seen, and we have what we feel. And this often plagues what we say is reality, what is true about us, what's true about God. And then on the other hand, we have what our, what our Bibles tell us, or what we hear on a Sunday morning, what we learn about in Sunday school or at VBS or on a mission trip. Some of us in here are experiencing pain, yet God says he's good. Some of us uh, look at the chaos in the news. What happened in Charleston? A man who goes and, and guns down members in a prayer group. And yet we're told that God's in control. Many of us feel unworthy or, or rejected or maybe we don't feel like we stack up or measure up in our marriage. We're not good enough or we're not being the, a good enough parent. feel like we're failing. Maybe we don't feel like we're spiritual enough. That We're just not walking the Christian life and we feel guilty. We feel insecure. Some of us are lonely. We're fearful of the future. Maybe we feel hopeless. I wasn't, uh, it wasn't too far that I was in a, a place just like that that I described. I just started working at the church here at Orchard Hill Church. I got hired um, I, uh, right out of college as a less than full-time senior high youth director was my title. So it wasn't even a full-time job. And I'm working doing youth ministry. And the, the first few months going into youth ministry, I started to experience something I've never experienced before. I would wake up in the morning and have fear of facing the day. I felt alone. My, my perception of the world was really dark. I lost confidence in who I was. I didn't even know who I was. And eventually I realized I had symptoms of what is depression. And the worst of all of that stuff was I felt abandoned by God. If you would actually go back in my journal entries in those, years, in those days, you'd notice I questioned even if I was a Christian and I'm a youth pastor. I didn't think that my relationship with Jesus was even real based on what I was experiencing. Most of these doubts stemmed from my circumstance. See, I grew up believing as a Christian, you have joy and you have peace. And God was with us. But I was seeing, experiencing, and feeling turmoil, misery. I felt abandoned and alone by God, from God. 
And then I was faced with this important decision. So then what's really true? My circumstances and experiences are saying that God has left me, that he's abandoned me, or maybe I, didn't, I wasn't even a Christian to begin with and I was just playing church the whole time. But God's word says that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, that I am accepted, that I am loved, not by what I do, but because he created me. And I remember in that time, because I grew up in the church, that there was a book in the Bible, though, where a guy had written letters, kind of like to God, songs, describing some of the same feelings I was feeling. And so I had to look that up for myself. So I'm going through the book of Psalms, and here this guy David, some of them are happy songs of praise, and some of them, the guy just feels like he's in a bottomless pit. And I could totally relate to him. And as I was reading these scriptures, my feelings of depression didn't go away. I was still having suicidal thoughts, thought about taking my life. But as those feelings persisted, I persisted to what deep down I felt like was true, even though I wasn't experiencing any of it. I can't tell you how my depression lifted or really exactly when. But about nine months later, I found myself in a different place. Hanging on to what God said about who I am and who he is and his trustworthiness is what saved my life that year, literally. And this is the first point I'm getting at, that our circumstances don't determine our reality. Our circumstances don't determine what is really true about who God is and who we are. The truth that first year working at the church was that God loved me, was there for me, and accepted me for who I was. And this is not true because I experienced it. It's true because God says it. In that year, I became a warrior. I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was battling for what was really true. And today, God is using that year of depression in my life for his glory. Gideon was also told, you are a mighty warrior. And the message translation states this of how he responded to that. He says, look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the runt of the litter. Gideon looks at his circumstances. He looks at his occupation, and he doesn't believe in who God says Gideon is. He's a little brother who's not taken seriously. He's from a weak family that's, uh, that are farmers. They're not a military power, army, or military power family, and yet God is telling him something way different. You see, Gideon was raised knowing that God redeemed and rescued his people, his ancestors from slavery. He grew up being told the works and wonders of God, yet Gideon had a hard time believing who God said Gideon was. Gideon also had a hard time believing who God said God was because of his circumstances. He needed some extra assurances. What's interesting in this story is when he had this uh, encounter with this angel of the Lord, he didn't even really know if he was an angel of the Lord or if he was just some strange, wacky guy telling him something. So he decides, well, I'll, I'll do a test. I'll, go, I'll bring him some food. If this guy's like a mortal man, he's going to take and he's going to eat the food. And if he's some kind of uh, divine uh, uh, character, he's probably not going to eat food because he doesn't need food. So he goes, he prepares some meat, some unleavened bread, and some broth. He brings it, and the angel of the Lord says, pour the broth on top of the food. Kind of a weird request, but he goes and he does it. And then the angel of the Lord lifts out a staff, touches the food, and it just, boom, starts in flames. Now, I don't know about you, but if something like that happened to me, I'd start perking up my ears and paying attention. But that wasn't enough for Gideon. Later on, uh, uh, as, Gideon, as God is assuring him that he's going to give him victory, 
to the, to the army of the Midianites. Gideon doesn't quite believe it yet. So he says, God, be, please be patient with me. Don't be mad at me. I just I have to know if this is really true or if I'm just making this up in my head. I'm going to get a piece of fleece. I'm going to put it outside. Would you allow the fleece to get full of dew but have the ground around it be completely dry? You know, if, if you do this, then, then, I'll, then I'll trust and I'll believe. So he, he puts this fleece out. He goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, pulls out the fleece off the ground and looks, and the ground's completely dry. And when he picks up that fleece and he wrings it out, a bowl fills up with water. And that wasn't enough for Gideon. He, he, needed, he felt like maybe this was just how nature worked. Maybe this was just a fluke. God, be patient with me. I need, I need one more. I just don't really know if what you're saying is really true. Can I, can I this time put the fleece out? You can keep that bone dry, but then have the ground around just full of dew in the morning. So Gideon goes, he does that. He puts the fleece out, goes to bed, wakes up the next morning, comes outside. Sure enough, he sees dew all over the grass and he picks up this piece of fleece and it's dry. Gideon's doubt starts to lift. Like Gideon, I argue that we ourselves, we have a hard time believing who God says we are. And we have a hard time really believing who he says he is. This is very important. What we believe about who we are often determines how we'll live. What we believe about who we are often determines how we'll live. Let me give you an example. This is not, uh, I know that sometimes teachers will come up front, they'll ask questions, and they're always rhetorical. You're always supposed to just think in your, in your mind, don't raise your hand. It's not a real question. This is not the case. I want full participation this morning. So I have a question for you, and I want you to raise your hand, but let me know that you're with me. So how many of you identify yourselves as sinners? Okay, a lot, a lot of us have raised our hands. How many of you identify yourselves as saints, as holy? I see about three or four hands. Interesting. Not too many of us raised our hands on that one. Either because we didn't want to look like a fool in our family because everybody knows that we're not a saint. Or because honestly, we don't feel like it. We don't feel like we live like saints. What's interesting though, is God tells us those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith in him, are saints. He's saying, if you have faith in me, you're a saint. In fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, it refers to people who follow Jesus as saints 220 times. And if you look at how it identifies of people who don't follow Jesus, it refers to them as the sinners. So my question this morning is, why those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, why are we still identifying of who we are as sinners when he says we're saints? It's very perplexing. In John 1.12, we're told that we're God's children. Those of us that have received Jesus. In Romans 15.7, we're, we're told we're accepted by God. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us that we're chosen, that we're holy. God tells us over and over again who we are in Christ because of Christ. That we are his children, that we are accepted, we're chosen, we're holy. We're image bearers of the one true king. But often we don't see it that way. We see ourselves as rejected. Or we, or we see ourselves and identify ourselves as entangled or enslaved with a sin that just we can't seem to walk away from or we, or we feel too dirty or unworthy and that defines how we see ourselves 
You know, when um, the slave trade was abolished um, and they were making laws uh, against slavery, a lot of these slave owners and masters got really nervous, really worried. They're going to lose their free labor. So they, they started talking amongst themselves, how are we going to combat this? And a lot of them said, well, we'll just suppress the truth from our slaves. We're not going to let them know what the truth is. Or, and that might be hard to do just because word will travel fast, they're going to think that they're free, and we'll just tell them, well, that's not how it works. It's going to be free. The legal process takes a long time. You're eventually going to be free. They'll twist the truth. And if that didn't work, they'd go up to the slaves that didn't believe it, and they would, they would think that they really are free, and, they, and, and the slave owner would say, well, well, look at you. How are you free? You're still working on my plantation? Free labor? You're still taking beatings from me? Look at your circumstances. Look around you. You're not free. It's only when a slave who learns what's really true, who understands what the law clearly claims, then believes that claim and owns that claim, can that man or woman live freely. And you see the other slaves at the plantation... They're still free, but they don't believe it, and so they're living like they're still in slavery. See, the slave who takes hold of the truth for himself gets to experience the freedom that's already his or hers. You see, it's so important for us to have a correct understanding of who we are and who God is. We're not to gather answers of who we are by what we do, by what others say, or what we see, and we're also not to gather answers of who God is by what we have or have not experienced. A famous theologian, A.W. Tozer, states this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. My question is, how are you forming your thoughts about who God is? Is it formed through your feelings, your experiences, or is it formed by what God says? I ran across a story I want to read with you. Almost 60 years ago, a little girl was born with a major, major health problems and it left her crippled. While her siblings ran outside and played, she was confined to braces. Her parents took her periodically to Nashville for therapy, but the little girl's hope was dim. Will I ever be able to play outside with the other kids? She asked her parents, and her parents would respond, Honey, you only have to believe. They responded, You have to trust in God, because with God, all things are possible. So she took her parents' counsel to heart. She began to believe that God could make her walk again. She even practiced walking without the braces with her siblings, without the doctors or her parents knowing. And on her 12th birthday, she surprised her family. She removed the braces and walked for the first time, surprising her doctors. And she never wore braces again. Her next goal was a try for the basketball team. The coach selected her sister for the team, but the courageous girl was told she wasn't good enough to play. And then the father shared... My daughters come in pairs. If you want one, you have to take the other. And the coach reluctantly added the girl on the team. She was given an outdated uniform and was allowed to work out with the other players. And then one day, she approached the coach. Coach, if you'll give me 10 extra minutes each day, I'll give you a world-class athlete. So he half-heartedly gave her some additional playing time, let her pick her best friend, and they played against a couple boys. And before long, that determination paid off. She showed tremendous skill, and she became one of the team's best players. Her team eventually went to the state championship. One of the referees at the tournament noticed her exceptional ability and asked if she'd ever ran track, and she hadn't. And the referee also happened to be an international track coach for the Tiger Bells and encouraged her that she should go out for track. So after basketball, she hung up her basketball sneakers and put on her track spikes. 
and she began winning races, and lots of them. At the age of 16, she was one of the best young runners in the country, and she went to the Olympics in Australia, won a bronze medal in the 400-meter relay. Not satisfied with this accomplishment, she worked diligently four more years and returned to the Olympics in 1960 in Rome. There, Wilma Rudolph won the 100-meter dash, the 200-meter dash, and anchored in the 400-meter relay for first place, all in world record times. So you can hear an inspiring story like this and say, what are you getting at, Brad? Are we just supposed to think positively that if we can believe it, we can achieve it? I'm saying no, it's much more than that. Let me tell you this. We're not just called to think positive. We as Christians are called to think the truth. Let me say that again. We as Christians are not called just to think positive. We are called to think the truth. And if God says something to be true, we have a choice to believe it and live accordingly, but but believing it does not make it true. His word is true. Therefore, we can believe it. So I didn't get to finish my story of Gideon. So Gideon, we just left off. He doubted, he had questions, he ran a couple tests, and God proved faithful. So Gideon goes and and has courage to put this army together. He rounds up 32,000 troops. And the Midianite army is 120,000 thick. Odds, four to one. And God says, Gideon, your army is too big. Now, God wanted to make it clear that it was not his battle to win, that God was going to be the victor. God was going to make this happen. And so he couldn't let them get confused that it was in their might and power. So one way he weeds them out, he says, Gideon says, all right, if you're scared, go home. So then 22,000 men go home with a tail between their legs. 10,000 guys left. All right, these guys might still be able to do it. Anybody likes a good underdog story? The odds are 12 to 1. And God says, Gideon, your army, it's still too big. I don't know about you, but if I was Gideon, I'd be getting really nervous right now. So they go to this river, and God kind of instructs, instructs Gideon, hey, any guy who goes down, puts his head in the river, kind of like a dog lapping it up, those guys are to go home. But anybody who scoops up some water and drinks from his hands, that's going to be the army today. And so 9,700 guys bend down, take a drink, and go home. 300 men. And God gave them victory. That's my last point. God fights the battles for us. God makes it painstakingly clear, not just in this story, but in so many Old Testament stories, that it is God who gave the victory. It was God who made it possible. He weeded out an army so small that every strong soldier would be forced to acknowledge it wasn't in their own might. You know, I was just at the... uh, the Bartlett funeral this last Friday. And Kurt, uh, through his message, was sharing that there's a lot of questions about suffering and why we experience suffering that we just can't answer. There's no simple formula in the Bible. But there are things we do know. That God is. He exists. He's there. That God is victorious. That he ultimately wins the battles. God fights the battles for us. And God fights your battles for you. You're invited 
this morning. You're invited, like Gideon, to play a piece, to play a role. And, and we have to, some of us have to realize right now, this story is not about us. It's about God. But we can, we can, we're invited to play a role. And we can be most successful in those roles when we have a good understanding and believe deep down in our hearts of who God says we are and who he says he is. And, and, and I invite you, uh, some of you are like, well, how do I understand that? How do I, how do I learn and grow in those areas of knowing who God is and who I am? And I love it that we're a part of a church that helps and wants to encourage you in that. One way is just signing up for the daily scriptures. We believe that God still speaks today like he did to Gideon. And we believe mostly it's through his word. And so you can go online, you can sign up for, for a daily scripture, and you can get that sent to you every morning. You can start encountering God's word, and he will reveal who he is and who you are. And then you have, to, then you have a choice. Am I going to believe it? Another thing that's coming up this fall that we're going to be shoulder tapping people is the journey class. That class heavily rests on discovering who you are, who God made you to be, what he says about you, and what he says about himself. So we just, we just encourage you uh, to take that next step in discovering that. And after you discover that, then you have the hard part of figuring out, do I really believe this deep down? But we do believe God's inviting you to, be, to play a role in his story about him winning battles. Would you pray with me? God, I uh, thank you so much that you give stories like this to us. Stories that aren't, they're not fairy tales. It's not something uh, that was just supposed to illustrate a point, but this is like a thing that happened in history where you showed up and, and, and won against the odds. And you used a guy like Gideon, a guy who uh, doubted a lot. God, this story shows us that you're just a patient God. God, I pray uh, uh, the folks that are in here this morning who are battling something. God, I pray that you'd give them courage, that you'd give them faith to trust what you say. God, I pray that for people in here that are just believing lies about themselves, that you uh, could destroy those and that they could uh, uh, grab onto some truth. They could look for uh, truth in your word. And God, uh, may uh, those of us that are in battles, may we rest assured um, that we don't have to fight it alone, that we have a, a God um, who's there, who doesn't leave us or forsake us, no matter what we're feeling or experiencing. God, please give us faith. We pray all this in your name. Amen.